At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. It's quite a lovely Jackson Pollock, isn't it? Yes, it is. What does it say to you? It restates the negativeness of the universe, the hideous, lonely emptiness of existence, nothingness, the predicament of man forced to live in a barren, godless eternity, like a tiny flame flickering in an immense void with nothing but waste, horror and degradation forming a useless bleak straitjacket in a black absurd cosmos. What are you doing Saturday night? Committing suicide. What about Friday night? Ah, nothing like Woody Allen for a dose of biting existentialism. Coastal nihilism and the facing of the bleak, absurd cosmos. Nothing like it. And I know Karen Asklentris today would want to cancel me for even quoting Alan. But what is relevant is relevant. And I haven't perfected my Kevin Spacey impersonations. I think you just became my personal hero. Heck and heckity. The message is pretty Gnostic. Except it omits the part that those tiny flames that constitute man can blaze this black, absurd cosmos into a wonder of meaning and laughter. That Sophia's rescue operation has been succeeding since the universe was molded by her demented son. That those who want to awaken into an expanded, immortal sense of consciousness can do so. And, at the same time, those who love the material world are more than welcome to languish in this black iron prison as recycled meat compost. We have both choice and potential. So choose your Ouroboros fighter well. Sir, are you classified as human? Uh, negative. I am a meat popsicle. Yes, Woody. It is hopeless, as the chick says in the film, play it again, Sam. But where hope dies, imagination must live. And as the Cheshire cat told the avatar of Sophia, imagination is the only weapon in the war against reality. In the same vein, it was Colin Wilson who said, imagination should be not to escape reality but to create it. Such a disappointment. We can make anything we fancy in this 
arena of infinite promise. And this is what we come up with? Weapons? War? Surely we have more imagination than that. So welcome to Aeon Bite to find and unleash your inner flame, your divine spark, which William Blake equated with nothing more than your untapped imagination. The awakening of any individual is a cosmic event, Clark Emery said, while I say the awakening of any individual is a cosmic rebellion. Your awakening your expansion of consciousness is all you need to battle the creator gods and their butt slaves in the establishment. It's what will dictate your sacred and profane purpose, allow you to choose ecstasy over entertainment. It's what will help you write your own gospel and live your own myth. As Hemingway said, there is nothing noble in being superior to your fellow man. True nobility is being superior to your former self. As always, I am Miguel Connor, your pompadus of gnosis, and that voice in the digital wilderness crying out for your inner Prometheus and indwelling palace Athena. The two figures who, yes, stole fire from Olympus and gifted each human with that inner flame. It was a gift from the Titan Prometheus. A gift that he stole. We wield incredible power. The power to transform, to destroy, and to create again. The question, of course, before us is what the hell are we supposed to do with this power? Or more importantly, one should ask, what are we allowed to do with this power? Without a doubt, there is a lot of horror in this black, absurd cosmos. And certainly much confusion in this age of Hermes where civilization is collapsing under a thousand apocalypses. Many still struggle in understanding evil, suffering, and what in Odin's dingleberries is the supernatural. He who questions training only trains himself at asking questions. What? Worry not, for Aeonbite continues to pave a way for that middle path between orthodoxy and scientism. This episode is a strong underscore. Materializing at the virtual Alexandria, we again have the infernal pleasure of being joined by Anthony Tyler to discuss his new book, Hunt Manual. The work is preggers with data and philosophy on both supernatural and carnal evil, from demons to serial killers yet provides nuanced explanations that strike at the heart of Gnosis. In the end, Hunt Manual is a very positive book that helps one do that essential shadow work our culture has abandoned for boot-on-the-face complacency. Those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. A perfect episode to conclude the season of the witch. But please keep facing those shadows and horrors the rest of the darkening months. As Santa Muerte contends, and the ancients believed, true life is found in the womb of death. 
I knew a man who once said death smiles at us all. All a man can do is smile back. The horror of this bleak black cosmos. Evil. Hmm. I like what Franz Kafka said. Evil is whatever distracts. Simple as that. As the Gnostics explained, the bad shit out there keeps us from looking within to our inner flame. But so can the allegedly good shit. Your money, mobile device, emotions, appetites, and career goals can also sink you into ignorance. The mother of all sin as the Gospel of Philip states. Sink you just as much as fear, dark spirits, or authoritarian governments. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. In the secret book of John, the Garden of Eden is a hypnotizing chimera impeding Adam and Eve from remembering their celestial origins. You're just like Adam. He called me and I took one of his ribs and made it into a woman. You're here to trick me. Trick you? Why are you trying to save the world? What arrogance to think you can save the world. The world doesn't have to be saved. Save yourself. Evil is whatever distracts. And play that again, Sam. And again, and again. Don't get distracted. Don't forget, as Jung said, that you came to this world not to be good, but to be yourself, which is a fully awakened and imaginative being brimming with game-changing purpose. Don't be like the meat sacks out there who want power, which, according to Jung, is nothing more than the opposite of good. Orthodox religions ask how did evil come into the world? Gnosticism asks how did good come into the world? Simple. It came when you arrived. It exploded as you woke up. For you are the all who, like Adam and Eve, simply forgot. The divine does not reach out to us from a cosmic beyond. It breathes from within. If the body shells the soul, and the soul is divine ground, then God is earth. God is us. God is all around. These are indeed Gnostic times, but as I keep saying, eternity hasn't gone anywhere. It's there for your taking because, and as the Gospel of Thomas says, it's both inside and outside of you spread across the earth. To help you, to give you some sanity hacks, I recently published a short but potent book called 10 Snackable Meditations. Leverage tried and true spiritual slash wellness exercises from across the world. Some take minutes to master and renew your mental state for 24 hours. From ancient Buddhism, to mystic Islam, to modern psychology, find what works for you and only you. The work includes the prison cell meditation from Damien Eccles and Gurdjieff's self-remembering exercise. The feedback has been tremendous, 
10 snackable meditations might be the effective toolbox next time your workday goes south. You rumble with your family, or you're stuck in traffic and the archons whisper in your ear to start giving up. Or maybe you just need an extra pleroma sauce before your next workout, ritual, or therapy session. And these sometimes feel miles away. Info on the show notes or go to my homepage. Check it out. If I don't finish my meditation, uh, I tend to get a little cranky. Take care now. Bye-bye. Well, I'm shilling a bit. A reminder, I'm offering voiceover services for any commercial, audiobook, podcast, documentary, or even video game that needs some astral audio with down-to-earth professionalism. Let us end with a counterbalance to the Woody Allen intro. It's from the series Midnight Mass, which was simply amazing and reminded me how damn occult the Roman Catholic service is. I've played a lot of clips in my years, as you know, and this might be my favorite one. It's that inspiring and sublime. It's also about three minutes long, so if you don't want a quasi-spoiler or want to get on with the interview, skip ahead. But the clip will kindle brighter that inner flame you have that deserves to light all of creation with so much wonder. I remember that every atom in my body was forged in a star. This matter, this body is mostly just empty space after all, and solid matter? It's just energy vibrating very slowly, and there is no me. There never was. The electrons of my body mingle and dance with the electrons of the ground below me and the air. I'm no longer breathing. And I remember. There is no point where any of that ends, and I begin. I remember I am energy, not memory, not self. My name, my personality, my choices all came after me. I was before them and I will be after and everything else is pictures picked up along the way. Fleeting little dreamlets printed on the tissue of my dying brain and I and the lightning that jumps between. I am the energy firing the neurons and I'm returning. Just by remembering, I'm returning home. It's like a drop of water falling back into the ocean of which it's always been a part. All things, a part, all of us, Apart, you, me, and my little girl, and my mother, and my father, everyone who's ever been, every plant, every animal, every atom, every star, every galaxy, all of it. More galaxies in the universe than grains of sand on the beach, and that's what we're talking about when we say God. The one. The cosmos and its infinite dreams. 
we are the cosmos dreaming of itself. It's simply a dream that I think is my life every time. But I'll forget this. I always do. I always forget my dreams. But now, in the split second, in the moment I remember, the instant I remember, I comprehend everything at once. There is no time. There is no death. Life is a dream. It's a wish. Made again and again and again and again and again and again and on into eternity. And I am all of it. I am everything. I am all. I am that I am. This is the Aeon Bide interview. And with us, we have the pleasure being joined back again, as always, by Anthony Tyler. This time to discuss his new book, Hunt Manual. Anthony, thanks for coming back on the show. Thank you very much for having me back. It's always a pleasure to talk with you both. Always glad to have you here. We had a great time with our Halloween special last year, and this is sort of a, a sequel, maybe a prequel, who knows, but uh good uh season of the witch topics and just good uh, esoteric stuff that you put out so look forward to having to sharing that gnosis and with us too we've got the moon dog van sachi vance how are you i'm okay you know every hunt needs a good dog so here's the moon dog ready to go <laughs> there you Excellent. go and the pun of the day awesome <laughs> well anthony tell us about why you decided to write this book uh, your first book is dive manual this is hunt manual. What's the difference between diving and hunting? <laughs> it's a good question. It's a good starting point too. Um, well, the uh, the general mindset for dive manual was uh, everything to do with the divine feminine in many ways. It branches out a little bit, but the divine fem feminine definitely the 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 core element. And this hunt manual, the core element with this one being the shadow specifically. So everything to do with the shadow um, and that immediately becomes a tangled web, but it was a, or a tangled slinky, maybe more precisely, but I had a lot of fun trying to um, just unknot it a little bit. Uh, Cause it's such a, I mean, if you really want to follow the, the union shadow to its logical ends uh, as you know, as we can see it so far from our vantage point w with everything um, you know, with it generally, um, representing you know the um the the chaotic side of our psyche and that which we don't fully understand yet but are processing cognitively on some level well long story short that ultimately if you're seeing that through to its logical ends that has to uh play some sort of role in uh us understanding unexplainable phenomena i mean just really by definition and i mean jung was stabbing at that before especially at closer to before he died and you know the the uh I have um, in this book, just like Dive Manual, and if anyone's heard me talk, I have like my classic uh, choir of um, uh, sources in the background. Like I, I go through a lot of different material and I have the sources in the bibliography, but my favorites as always are uh, Jung, Manley Hall, um, John Keel, and this one uh, in Hunt Manual, more so than Dive Manual, I throw a uh, good old Jacques Vallée into the mix a bit as well. So, you know, the, the, sh the shadow first and foremost, and what uh, you know the hunt allegory being 
So if the dive is kind of like, you know, the, the hermet in the hermetic tradition of the, uh, the divine feminine sort of being the, uh, the water and the ocean itself, among other things, um, the, uh, this whole shadow complex, uh, the, the union shadow, um, you know, being typified by everything we just discussed so far, um, really seems to, uh, I mean, there's no other way to really articulate it than, uh, than that sort of hunt process. And that's something, you know, it's not, it's not summed up easily in just one sentence, uh, because you know, the, the vantage points of the hunt get into predator and prey and good and evil and horror and, you know, like what, like first and foremost, I guess, as a good starting point, like what, what really is good and evil. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's a, that's <laughs> quite a tangled web and, <laughs> I, um, you know, to set the stage a little bit, cause you really can't talk about, you know, demonology or the unexplainable without, uh, trying to lasso what evil is. Yeah. We certainly want to get into all these, uh, nuanced topics, Anthony. And I think you hit it on the head, especially when you bring in individuals like uh, Jung and Valet and Kiel, who are trying to figure not just finances, but I think they're all of them are trying to figure out a middle path, uh, a new language, how we can deal with the unexplainable out there, the other. And uh, your book definitely hits all the high marks when it comes to this. And uh, in uh, Dive Manual, it's more autobiographical. Uh, because you talk about your life and your journey from Alaska to California and all that. This one, it is also about Anthony, but I think you're you're kind of letting your own shadow have fun, aren't you? Because it sort of starts with this narrative, this cabin in the wood that continues throughout the whole book. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so kind of following with like, I guess it's almost like a Socratic dialogue sort of narrative in a way where I'm uh, I'm talking to the reader uh, throughout. Um, yeah, we, uh, you know, we start out in this, uh, classical, uh, cabin in the woods, evil dead sort of motif. Right. And, um, <laughs> uh, you don't, you know, you have amnesia, you don't really know where you are. And, uh, the, the only things that really become, uh, quickly obvious are all the dangers around in the wilderness. And you gotta essentially figure out, um, you know, first you got to figure out if you're going to trust me or not. And then you got to figure out, um, what, you know, how to navigate your way out of the wilderness um, and um, how to uh, get around all the beasts out there. And maybe some of the, uh, the, the, the lunatics that have lost their minds in the wilderness. And so like all of that essentially is an allegory, um, a working allegory for um, what a 14 investigator once called the goblin universe. That's a, that's a good uh, setting stage piece too. Um, now, for uh, for anyone who's not familiar, this is like a really obscure book that um, very few people have read. I haven't even read it because it was uh, only in print for a short period of time, and it was published. It was a rough draft from a fourteen investigator, Bob Holiday, and it was published posthumously. And um, he, uh, so it was. It's a it's a rough draft, and uh, it's not you know it doesn't have all its T's crossed and and things. But uh, it's a really interesting premise, and I think he was the first one to really. Uh, kind of articulate this unexplainable uh, phenomena correlation to the shadow complex. And he gets into, you know, there's, there's one bit that, uh, that, that the book is kind of like famous for people still recognize it for is uh, Bob Holiday and two Catholic priests go out to Loch Ness and attempt to exercise the lock um, oh, yeah. uh, from Nessie. And, you know, I, I think that that's uh 
that's not quite the right way to go about things, but it, <laughs> but it's very interesting. And I have a lot of respect for it. Like, and especially because they went out there as an experiment, they weren't really sure it was going to work either, but what they're really getting at is, um, uh, is, you know, we're going down the rabbit hole real quick, but if, um, so if archetypes are these, um, biological correlates to the uh, existence, you know, ways we internalize, um, uh, forces of the cosmos essentially. And memes are the way that we exchange those archetypes, uh, and, and memes are viral by their nature. Um, so like where it's, sentience is a different uh is a different story and that's kind of each person's own path uh to decide for themselves but in terms of autonomy the viral nature of these things in and of themselves starts to lend credit to the sense of autonomy and when you start to you know because here's the other thing is like me personally i don't think that there has ever been a monster in loch ness but but it's very interesting uh, the the this whole growing mythology of it. It's been around for so long, and uh, the more you look at you know things like cryptozoology, which is you know uh, part of the umbrella of uh, Fortiana, um, you see that the interesting thing, at least to me, and I think to a lot of other people, is not so much whether or not these monsters or animals are real half the time. It's what's going on here? Like, even if they aren't real, there's still something here, like real in the traditional sense, flesh and blood, there's still something going on here. And uh, um, in terms of the, you know, we've talked about um, heuristics uh, in the past when, um, when I've been on the show with you and this sort of trial and error education process that birthed the scientific method and empiricism as we know it, but it had its flaws because it is trial and error and it's uh it's using the imagination for trial and error and uh and you can't take those things literally sometimes but you uh that doesn't mean you can discount them either so i mean to 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 ground it a little more loch ness is a fun example but um you know if we're getting into like really some seriously hard data because all of hunt manual you know i'm a lot of the subject matter is actually if it's not like existentialism like jung or or keel it's a lot of police reports and stuff um and because uh, you know i'm not trying to mince words or anything i want to get down to um you know so the closest we can get because i don't think anyone's going to have the answers to these things but um but i think we could definitely draw further comparisons and you know just slowly chip away at the unexplainable i mean that's that's the part of the human experience in and of itself you chip away at it slowly and you find more and more common denominators and I mean, the common denominator here, if you're uh, the the real ultimate starting point and like probably the biggest recurring theme throughout the book uh, was um, a notion that kind of grew on me over time uh, as I was just looking through all this different sort of uh, subject matter. And it was it was a seed that that I kind of planted with dive manual. And uh, not only is two chapters, the one about um, um, actually, I think they might have been in the same chapter point being. Um, I had two bits in dive manual, one about sleep paralysis and one about, right. you know, Ramachandran and the phantoms in the brain and him u- using um, basically like a um, mirror trickery to, you know, like legitimately heal people of their phantom limb pains and stuff. And, um, and so you get into mirror neurons and the, uh, the, the like real heuristic value of the, uh, the projection process and how the projection process, you know, not just in 
not just in a philosophical sense, but in a very literal neurological sense, even um, holds some real underpinnings to uh, like trauma. It's like, it's like a gateway to trauma and catharsis. You know, I've heard uh, hypnotists um, in peer reviewed studies talk about how um, uh, hypnosis and the unconscious mind essentially is the gateway or one of the gateways to the nervous system. And I mean, there's a lot of data to show this. And, and so you look at dreams you look at things like sleep paralysis because the science behind sleep paralysis certainly fits in this model. And you look at phantom limb and you look at these other things and you see there's a recurring pattern happening and there's some sort of purgative quality to it. You know, uh, Keel, he touched on this talking about the Mothman prophecies. It wasn't just the Mothman that he put this prophetic sort of omen quality to, um, I mean, that was pretty much like Keel's takeaway to unexplainable phenomena in the long run was there's some sort of, omen quality to this um and you know that's something that um you know jung he obviously wasn't trying to get into uh uh the the like 14 phenomena too much because he uh he held you know he was a he was a scholar first and foremost and uh but but i mean even he got into ufos and if you take um his opinions on mythology um and ufos i mean you really get the same idea right there and uh right Hall was talking about the same thing. And, you know, when it comes to cryptozoology and things, um, you really can't separate them from mythology to begin with. You're talking about like the, the viral nature of the, of the meme and, you know, you take it back to the Loch Ness bit for a minute and you see that, um, um, yeah, there's something, um, there's something very interesting going on here. There's some sort of, um, um, transference, some, certainly some sort of purgative quality. And, um, I don't know. I mean, I could keep rambling, but I'd, uh, I'd like to give you guys the floor a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no, well said, my friend. Uh, and uh, you are right uh, in all of this. And I mean, speaking of Jung, it's, uh, and I keep repeating, especially during Halloween, but he talking about UFOs, he said, yes, uh, they are projections, but they are kinetic. In other words, UFOs appear on radars. Uh, they right. can be seen. So there's a interactive idea that we're projecting but we're also dealing with this otherness that's out there. And I know this is, uh, it's nuanced, but your book really tries to understand this, how, how it's happening. And of course, Keel with his ideas of the super spectrum and these otherness that's out right. there. And it's almost, there was a book I'm reading by uh, James True, and he has a great chapter on demons. And he says, demons are basically algorithms. We have to be connected to the space to the certain computer system in our lives and these algorithms we interact with them and we give them power we give them code they give us code and they can appear in different ways and affect us different ways especially how we see reality so it's really fascinating but maybe to go back uh, so the audience understands well as we continue you say heuristic maybe could you clarify because again i remember from our last interview and you mentioned this in this interview too in this in um sorry in uh, hunt manual you talk about uh, the idea that porcupines don't shoot their needles how is it maybe explain more about what is heuristic yeah yeah absolutely so yeah the two easy quick examples would be the porcupine example you just gave i mean there's still a lot of people to this day um that do think porcupines shoot their quills and i mean the general takeaway is even though that's not a like a literal truth you'd fail that answer on the test 
if it keeps you further away from porcupines, then you might be better off for it. And, you know, there's a lot, you know, especially if you look at, you know, just human history, there's so many, is more than you could ever conceive um, examples of um, heuristic education. And, uh, you know, people thought, like, especially in the medical field, I mean, that's where the medical field comes from. But, uh, you know, another easy example, like people used to think that you could pick up disease from smell. And I mean, it doesn't really work like that. Um, unless it's like chemical warfare, potentially, but it's the same principle, like you might stay further away from something that could get you sick. And, um, and in the long run, there are a lot of I mean, this is essentially the definition of mysticism and you know religious phenomena and that's not where the trail of breadcrumbs ends but you have to you have to take like if we're going to understand any of this stuff we have to understand that the 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 first and biggest common denominator is the human experience we're all working with the same brains here even if they're they might be slightly different and you know that's so if and that's why I like, uh, you know, like union psychology so much, because it's just looking to uh, be as reductionary as possible, not to keep it there, but to just find a good starting point. And yeah, that's, uh, that's, uh, <clears throat> and I mean, it, it, uh, so we, we really can't progress um, in certain ways, you know, the scientific method can only get us so far, it can do the things that it's currently doing. And we see that it has these major limitations, um, just because of its, not because it's imperfect, it's just another tool in the belt. And one thing that you look at, or one thing that you slowly, I don't know, at least dawned on me, uh, especially after writing this book, um, is that there is definitely uh, an undeniable threshold between the subjective and the objective there where some lines really get blurred. And I think that, uh, that example you gave, uh, with James true talking about the algorithms and things, I think that's a really a uh, rational way to put it because I think that if nothing else, there's some serious legitimacy to that. I mean, you could, you could take it as far as you want in your own personal beliefs, but if we're just getting down to the nitty gritty, there are definitely things floating around essentially there's, yeah, oh, there's yeah. information that we can interact with. And, um, I think, yeah, um, the idea that the unconscious mind and uh, is a gateway to the nervous system and that we kind of uh, engage with that faucet tap uh, with our states of consciousness. I think that's a major starting point for unexplainable phenomena and the shadow as we know it. Exactly. And even uh, something that I've said, I've quoted Jung, um, he said that uh, archetypes are quasi-conscious. They can't have some sort of agency once they, again, like an algorithm, find you and interact with reality for whatever's going on, the cosmic individuation, who knows. But you yourself write to that uh, Jung himself considered the archetypes to be autonomous. They were self-contained and self-directed. So, uh that definitely uh, brings a lot of, uh, well, it can bring a lot of unexplained things in our lives. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, um, it's, uh, there's certainly autonomous if nothing else. Um, I mean, good and evil in and of itself, as I, uh, I, I try to break down in the book as clearly as possible. Um, I mean, it really seems that just from like an Occam's razor point of view, good and evil doesn't exist on the objective level that some people like to think it does. But to say that it is irrelevant in the human experience is also like equally preposterous. And uh, um, 
yeah, there's some sort of uh, uh, living mythology happening. And, um, you know, this gets into the idea, really, so like good and evil being um, major, I don't know, they're like really resolute fixtures because of the things that I just said there. And so if you kind of like follow that logic through, this really gets us to things like tulpas and egregors. And, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, and 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 to me, I think maybe some people might think that uh might consider this reductionary or something, but I think I've done plenty of legwork um in hunt manual and even dive manual uh, a bit to show that uh there's definitely this is definitely part of the equation, the idea that this unexplainable phenomena, I don't think it's purely coming from just exclusively from the human psyche, but as, as, as Valet said, there's a completion of a circuit happening. Um, and, um, I, you know, it's like if, uh, uh, if a UFO, um, crashes in the forest and no one's around to see it, it does it really crash. I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced it does, but I don't (laughs) think that it's, uh, I, I, I don't think that it's uh, it's just a hallucination either. Um, and this, you know, this gets into other stuff like what I would call, I, I think this has been used by other people as well, transphysical phenomena. And because I don't know, I don't know where it comes from. I mean, there's some, you know, the, in my opinion, it all stems from this what we're building on with the nervous system and things. But in the long run, I mean, who knows what's really happening there. But when you look at things like the police reports for, you know, I have police reports for, poltergeists and um and uh some sasquatch man uh-huh. and i uh i got um, your book is full of data and stories objectively recorded like you said by yeah police uh eyewitnesses it's uh there's something out there <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah yeah it's i mean you look at it only takes one one truly unexplainable case to kind of break it open and when you look at you know, just, I don't even know how many cases I have in there, but maybe like, you know, cause I talk like police reports specifically, there might be up to like 10 police reports of really wild, unexplainable phenomena in there where just even the skeptic, like you have to be convinced that there's a conspiracy here to sell books or something. And a lot of time that doesn't hold up anyway, even though that is true with the case, like the Amityville horror, as far as I'm concerned, um, you know, you got to sift through you got to separate the wheat from the chaff here, but there's a, the, the most mind, one of the like punchiest uh, police reports, like um, uh, just in terms of how interesting it is, is uh, the, the church street poltergeist police report that, that came out of uh, St. Catharines, Canada at the end of the, or in the mid seventies. And I mean, the, the, the police officers um, were investigated that extensively because of uh, uh, complaints from the, uh, the, you know, surrounding neighbors in the apartment complex to like potential child abuse and things. Cause this kid mm. was getting slung around a room and the police came and, you know, none of these people, none of these officers are paranormal enthusiasts. None of this family ever sought anything on public record. They've all stayed away from public record, but I mean, after a 28 day ordeal that uh, ended up getting leaked to the public and, uh, you know, uh, uh, made it into, uh, like big nighttime talk shows and stuff as headlines. Um, the, the police officers say in the police report, like after all of our investigation and after everything we've witnessed, we have no other explanation, all of us, except for the fact that this child is being affected by a poltergeist. 
You know, we've seen this kid slung across the room with our own eyes. We've seen things dart all around the room. We've witnessed police officers sitting on couches that levitate for no on, uh, for no reason in the household. All I mean, <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. And this is again in the police report. So, I mean, at a certain point, like. You know, I think it's good to be skeptical, but then we also have to just kind of, you know, again, no one has all the full answers, but kind of in that classic Fortean tradition, that sort of Charles Fort book of the damned, it's just like, look, here's evidence, you know, here's there's <laughs> yeah. something happening. Um, so, yeah. And I mean, that's just the beginning, you know, it gets into all sorts of. Um, At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. You know, the serial killers and cult leaders. Yeah, and- yeah, we definitely want. Yeah, we want to get into all of that because, again, your book was just—I couldn't put it down because you give so many good ideas. And like you said, um, or this reminds me of what uh, Valet once said: is uh, when you're talking about aliens or extra- extraterrestrials, disregard their ontology at your own peril. In other words, if you're in the woods and you see those lights coming, yeah, yeah, you just ignore them and write them off. See what's going to happen to you or <laughs> or things are moving in your house or you see the two red eyes in the woods. It's like, no, you're you've been uh, you're in the hunt. You are being hunted. So and there's Absolutely. no way out. Once you're Absolutely. in, you're in, man. Um, That's such a great quote, too. Yeah, and uh, just uh, backing up before we continue, you mentioned Goblin Universe. What's a Goblin Universe? David Bowie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was making that point, and um, I veered off to the Loch Ness a little bit, but it's good because we've done all the legwork explaining it. The Goblin Universe was the name for what that Fortean investigator that went out to Loch Ness, uh, it's what he called this threshold of the human shadow complex and unexplainable phenomena. So he said that is the goblin universe, this sort of etheric dark side that basically encapsulates the hunt, um, whether you're on one side or the other. And um, I, uh, yeah, I, uh, I, that was not an initial inspiration for me writing this book. And uh, after being done with the first draft and, you know, kind of like sitting on it for a minute, thinking about things, that was when I came across Bob Holiday's book because I don't think anyone can really find it. Not unless you're like a, a book collector. You could find it on Amazon for like six hundred dollars. I don't think it's wow. worth that. Dear yeah, God. because it's just not many copies. But uh, you could find like a good podcast about it. Uh, there's a popular podcast. Some of your listeners are probably familiar with. Uh, Last podcast on the left is like Adult Swim sponsor and stuff, but they get really into the horror and esoteric and stuff. So if you're interested in any material on the Goblin Universe book, you could find them do a pretty uh, thorough um, dive into it. But um, 
I mean, it's um, it's a it, it's an idea that uh, is if it's found anywhere, it's found amongst chaos magicians, it seems um, because they seem to be the most receptive to, I mean, like ultimately what, what I'm kind of stabbing at here is um, cause I very much appreciate chaos magic, but I also very much appreciate tradition. So I kind of walk, walk that fine line, but um, I do very much. Uh, I think the evidence shows that there are obviously ways of interacting with metaphysics, the physics of the psyche. Um, There are ways of doing that that aren't currently like cataloged, you know, not everything is cataloged in the esoteric tradition. And I think that we have, um, uh, you know, like essentially the building blocks for things, but, you know, there's, there's, there's a whole bunch of different ways to skin a cat. And, you know, I think, um, I think people, um, I think there's a, the sense of, uh, the fact that unexplainable phenomena seems to follow our uh, the human experience and kind of reflect our imagination in, in ways is uh, is I, th- I I really don't think that you um, can understand the full picture without considering that either. Because uh, you, you know that doesn't take away from the reality of it. it you know, in the ways that we've, we're talking about and the James True uh, algorithms and things, but um, yeah, I don't I. I think um, these things um, certainly aren't, aren't aren't flesh and blood in the traditional sense at this point. And you know, if anything, yeah, the very much like the Tulpa or the Egregor. I don't know if any if you guys or any of your listeners are familiar with this, but there's. Oh, yeah. uh, um, are, are, are you familiar with the um, what is it called? Uh, uh, Tulpa Mancy and the the My Little Pony um, uh, fandom, the Bronies that started no. developing Tulpa Mancy. This is all. No, I gotta hear this. My little pony. Seriously, yeah, yeah. So, um, not Hello Kitty though, right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's pretty wild. Um, this is like so Tulpa Mancy as a thing being you know like the thought forms that we cultivate and create like put inertia behind, and they eventually become these magical vessels, like proverbial bottles for um for a, a genie essentially um you could put it like that and um but really where this and this is like a very esoteric excuse me esoteric tradition obviously but where this comes uh uh where this has taken um any sort of uh, like mainstream momentum at all um is yeah like uh, some years ago you know like after 2010 or something fairly recent the uh the subreddit of um Topomancy's snowballed out of the brony um, fandom where just um, people were, I, I'm very serious. Uh, <laughs> people mm. were legitimately trying to um, um, create um, very, very legitimate metaphysical beings out of the different characters from the universe. And I don't understand why they would have chosen that of all things. And, uh, and I think, um, um, you know, if anything, I like the example because um I, you know, I find it a little humorous, but I'm also not going to sit here and say that they're all lunatics. I don't think that. I think that they're probably getting some sort of use out of it, oh, you know, yeah. it, it, at least on a basic level. And, um, and you know, this kind of gets us into the threshold of the gray area between truly unexplainable phenomena and hysteria. Um, because, you know, I think that in some way, before we get into hysteria specifically, building up to that, I think that in some ways working with these things, like, you know, this is getting really, 
theoretical here, but if you know you if people want to hear metaphysics, we're gonna get into it. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I think, you know, especially as far as your audience is concerned, they understand the uh, the significance of the Tulpa and the egregor. They're oh, yeah. not super skeptical about that. So so what if, you know, you are, it, those things are the proverbial bottle for a genie. And what if a lot of these things, you know, in the same way that dreams are like they're poignant allegories, um, you know, even if they seem surreal at times, they might, they might just be poignant allegories from our unconscious mind. And I think that that is probably where it begins. I think that you have to have that fertile ground to start with. And that's where this whole shadow complex and the, uh, the nervous system and things comes in. But I, but I very much think that after looking at the data and looking at all this crazy head scratching, just where does this physical stuff come from? It's just coming out of nowhere. And uh, um, yeah, there very much seems that I think if you give enough momentum to a thought form, um, whether it be the singular tulpa, you know, coming from like an individual person or the egregor being the collective, um, I think that, you know, you can create the the bottle for the genie and i think that in some cases uh things that are probably far more potentially sentient and certainly more powerful than we understand probably work their way into that process oh no doubt i think so too i mean yeah there's so many ways we can go at it but they all start to make sense and hunt manual really tries to put it together again we're talking also shadow projections can easily become tolpa or agricores and then of course you know, you, your book talks about mental disease and, you know, if we can have a laughing pandemic or, you know, mental diseases are contagious, nervous tics, all that. I mean, that's been documented at science. So mm -hmm. reality could be a shared mental disease right now that you and I are experiencing in Vance. I mean, that's, <laughs> that would be completely scientific because again, mental diseases can be passed. I mean, you just talk about memes. Richard Dawkins did a lot of great work on that. How, ideas are viruses and act like viruses they can take over like the you know like the coronavirus so Absolutely. there's so many ways we could see it but again it's we're trying to find a, a new language a new view of this and everything else so uh what do you think vance i mean you've obviously been a proponent saying very well that math is simply a tool to describe reality so is science but it's far from well, there are many more tools what do you think of all of this well, you know, it starts with the question of what's real. Mm -hmm. Philip K. Dick, it's still there when you stop believing it. Yeah, so that could be. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> and, you know, how much do we project? How much is being projected into us? You know, is there, you know, us, all that, that that's all, you know, wrapped up in that. But um, I, I think another thing more grounded is, is there ESP? Because if there's ESP, a lot of this stuff is more explainable, you know, as a network of consciousness, conscious beings with the ideas flowing between them, not just in verbal or visual means, but um, through uh, telepathy. Mm -hmm. And then poltergeist the other way around, you know, um, that's, a, that's a short, short set of thoughts about all this. I could talk a lot more, but that's what I got for right now. And what do you think of uh, UFOs, extraterrestrials, Vance? Well, I, I think that there's many different phenomenon in back of the UFOs. I think there's a reality of some sort out there. Oh, one thing is we all 
are forced to perceive through our unconscious like you know it's like none of us is consciously constructing what we see through our eyes what we hear mm -hmm. in our ears it's all interpretation and that interpretation happens in the unconscious so when you see something up in the sky um you can project what you expect and um, some people think they're, you know, they're, they're spaceships. And some people think, like in the 1800s, they thought they saw sailing ships up there. They didn't have any concept of spaceships. But now we do. Now we think about spaceships because now, you know, we've created them. So we project that out there. So, uh, but that doesn't mean that they're, they're not there, or that we're making it all up. Right. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So, you know, another thought I had is... Um, there, within the unconscious, and I just realized this, you know, hearing you guys talk, there's a counter Fortean um, uh, force in the unconscious. In other words, uh, a, a, um, a reality of not wanting to believe in anything but the common social idea of what reality is. And that is in part of the collective unconscious, the idea of restricting reality to what we can handle or you know because you got to realize people with um that believe in magic and whatever they live in a much more complex universe there's a lot more threats people can curse you people can send their tulpas or egregores after you and uh there's a lot more to deal with and to be afraid of which you know kind of brings us to halloween <laughs> <laughs> yeah well said yeah well it's a, it's a survival mechanism i tell my kids we're safe believe this they're going to do it so the pack can continue so uh that is part of it, safety. And of course, your book, Anthony, deals a lot also with chaos, uh, chaos theory and how there is chaos out there. And do you think part of today's malaise and psychosis is uh, twofold that maybe we don't want to deal with chaos, Anthony? We certainly don't want to deal with our shadows. Why Halloween is so popular? Because it's a one time out of the year that we can allow chaos and the shadow to come out and have do what it must do. Yeah. Yeah. And that's certainly why it's popular. I, I would say. And I think that people just don't have a very, um, they often don't have a healthy relationship with their shadow. Um, uh, and that doesn't oh, yeah. seem to be a new thing. Like on um, Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> they just yeah, throw it out. And they, don't, <laughs> yeah. they don't integrate it. And then it becomes these, Talking about egregores, it turns into these weird egregores that are called trending hashtags, you know? Oh, yeah. It's, it's yeah. bizarre. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, <laughs> it, uh, it really is. Um, you know, I think the people, one of the biggest, uh, it's and it's not even really a conscious mistake people make, but I think it uh, just, I guess, has to do with some of our um, cultural programming it seems that um, like, and I think a lot of this stems from the Abrahamic tradition um, where yeah, bingo. Um, yeah, good and evil, you know, evil is associated with wrong. And he, he, initially that, that follows through, you know, like something that, um, you know, something that is evil might also be wrong, but essentially not everything that's wrong is evil. And a lot of people don't take the time to separate those semantics and, and really kind of like, I don't know, let that come to fruition in their minds. Because if you do, then it, you know, that's kind of where the whole allegory of the hunt is tied in. It's not it like you could take it uh, as simply as 
you know, some sort of um, Native American ritual and not, and like making sure you don't waste everything. But uh, and and you can go into like even like cryptozoology from there. But in the long run, it's really just the vantage point from uh, like the difference between, you know, like where do the tables turn? How do they turn? How do people get caught up in evil things? Um you know, and how much of people are evil? Is it bred in us? Um, and I mean, I think, you know, along the difference between wrong and evil, like this is one big takeaway that, uh, that I found, um, uh, pondering this concept and it's, and, uh, I mean, it, it, it really is just so simple as, um, sometimes when you feel the most self-righteous and, you know, just the, like you're you're the most justified that's when we truly become the most evil sometimes and um and you know in the moment (laughs) it's uh it's just a classic part of the human condition um it's almost like antithetical to be worked up with that justification or self-righteousness and uh and you know, when we're in that moment, we like biological hardwiring don't want to take a step back. We don't feel it's necessary. And, you know, it's also sometimes just as simple as overcompensation. Like just because you are justified doesn't mean that you're justified to take it to the fullest extent. Um, because, you know, I could put it like this, you know, just a little cherry on top of that, like, uh, uh, ethical philosophy and stuff. Like I really, before writing hunt manual, I used to say as a joke, like, I think that, uh, Batman's the real villain because he won't kill the Joker already. And, you know, (laughs) there's like a, there's a little bit of truth to that. You know, I, I definitely still kind of resonate with that perspective a little bit, but you gun to my head, you know, like truthfully, um, um, I mean, our, our ethics and our ideals, like even taking it so far as platonic ideals and so forth. And this also gets into things like tulpas and egregors or whatnot. Um, I mean, those are really the only things that separate us from um, the truly mentally ill because I mean, collective, the consensus reality is a mental illness. If you want (laughs) to, if you want to be real about it. I mean, it's like, it's all, it's all just this weird fantasy land, this like ongoing story arc that, people just live instead of writing and um um, nine to five job the government will take care of us Uh, (laughs) love america yeah it's all interesting uh interesting delusion (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely and i sometimes the only thing that you know some of the only real objective um truths i guess you could say the takeaways is you know i do think it's fairly evident that um it is like not only existentially best and like ethically best, but even biologically, you know, just the whole kind of live and let live thing. Like it makes sense. Um, you don't want to, you know, just like let yourself flourish and try to let other people flourish. But um, um, there's, you know, there's definitely times where you can't just simply be uh, peaceful. You know, sometimes you got to take up arms and, and that adds a whole complication to metaphysics and you know that's i mean among other things that's why martial arts the philosophy of martial arts aside from the practice or in addition to the practice is um really useful and i think um um yeah i don't know i i I think people really are not used to what uh the shadow contains you know once they are they they don't do any quote unquote shadow work. Uh, they they're not used to what the what their shadow is dealing with, what it holds. Because you're never going to have the reins on it, but you can at least 
develop a rapport with it, so to speak, a rapport with your psyche. And, you know, from there you can, you know, your shadow can either be um, like Mephistopheles, you know, uh, leading Faust on his, um, his insane and debaucherous <laughs> quest, or it could be very Virgilian um, leading Dante through purgatory and hell. And, uh, but the shadow certainly is not inherently evil. Um, no. And people really want to, um, I think unconsciously equate that. And they're really concerned about all these things. And they think that if they, um, if they do any of that quote unquote shadow work, uh, it's going to be evil without them knowing, or like they're going to be tricked or, you know, all of that is, is the shadow fucking with you. Like you're, you're in a, if you're, if you're having those thoughts, you're already in a losing battle and you really need to like stop and assess and think about the, the ontology of, of your own thoughts and disposition. Maybe some people's shadow is actually the nice guy and the good guy <laughs> and they're, and they're, they're Absolutely. Uh, the, the, the um, right. Um, in fact, maybe uh, sometimes people's uh, they suppress their good parts because uh, maybe they were hurt by being kind one time and they learned heuristically that uh, the kindness doesn't pay and therefore they become ruthless and they get joy out of the power. And so that becomes their, um, their normal self and the shadow is that other part. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. The shadow could be the part of you that you wanted to be a conductor or a, a, a politician or a priest and that got suppressed and there's that hero still inside of you wanting to come out and you became a, I don't know, something, uh, you became a lawyer or a journalist, something really unethical. (laughs) (laughs) No, you guys, you really hit the nail on the head because there are things that, you know, we should like vanquish, so to speak within the shadow. Um, But that's part of the whole discernment. That's why you can't be overzealous or just, like fully emboldened with like limitless self-righteousness because if you just go hacking away, you're going to be indiscriminate, you know, with the good and the bad um, that, uh, that you're trying to, um, you know, cause th- there are those like uh, what, what you would call like the wounded child archetype, you know, those, those are the things that uh, kind of lurk in the shadow as well. The things that you've abandoned for those, you know, the, the Vance articulated it very well. Um, and that really reminds me of uh, it feels like a very natural segue into uh, like serial killers and cult leaders, because I think that uh, people's fascination with true crime, uh, myself included, uh, is definitely indicative of shadow work. Um, and, you know, I think that the shadow will find its way out one way or the other. Um, and, and a lot of people are just they're able to kind of satiate it through their their interests, whether it be true crime or watching horror movies or things. And then sometimes if it becomes really um, uh, like I just really something that you really need to process, then you might start having a dream about it. Maybe those are recurring dreams. Maybe you'll start experiencing some sleep paralysis uh, to purge that tension unconsciously. And then maybe, you know, things build up, then you might start experiencing some strange paranormal phenomena. Maybe, and maybe you might, you know, see a uh, uh, see a Sasquatch like looking out your window or something, <laughs> you know. Um, but with um with with the serial killers, we'll start there. Um, that was kind of like so. My dad is um um he is about to retire as 
um, a detective for the Anchorage Police Department up in Alaska. And he was a uh, uh, he works in financial crimes and things. But um, so I've always been interested in true crime. And he actually uh, he worked a little bit on um, some of your audience will have fun. Um, this rabbit hole here. He he helped. Um, he was one of the many people who helped break uh, the case of one of the more notorious serial killers uh, in modern true crime. Uh, Israel Keys. Really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, he uh, Keys was a guy who uh, was pretty uh, unfortunately good at what he did because he lived in Alaska, right where I was going um, at the time where I was going. Uh, the end of middle school going into high school and things like that. And um, he never killed in Alaska, but he would travel um, uh, to other States and he would like, he would go and pick up a car, rent a car in a different state. And then he'd drive to another state and abduct a person and then drive to another state and kill him and then drive to one more state and bury the body. So he was good at covering his tracks. And he also stashed murder kits of um, cash that he got from bank robberies and lubed up guns that you could just pull out of the ground, like, Wow. Like bury treasure style and go on killing sprees or not not technically sprees, but do his murder thing. And um and so eventually he just as they all do, uh, they start to slowly lose their minds more and more, and they just get to that point where they don't seem to care at all. They go into like quote unquote berserker mode. And uh Israel Keys abducted um a coffee barista teenager in Anchorage. Um, and so that was on his home turf and that really brought the whole house of cards down. And my dad, um, polygraphed the, 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 the teenage barista he abducted, my dad polygraphed her father and her boyfriend. Um, and he also worked on the tip line with a bunch of other people, uh, you know, talking to psychics and everybody else that had any sort of, uh, tip to, to toss in. And then he also helped, um, again, as one of many people, um, because he was, you know, was financial related, um, Keys ended up trying to get a ransom, even though he had already killed the girl. Um, and uh, and he did get that ransom at first, but something happened with the transaction and he he got screwed and was only able to use an ATM. You can only get like 300 bucks out of an ATM at a time. So they were playing cat and mouse with him. And eventually they caught him through the ATM uh, transactions. But so that's an interesting story right there because I honestly... Um, I didn't even know that story until a while. My dad doesn't talk uh, too much about his cases or anything. And, um, but naturally, since my dad's a, a, a cop, I, uh, I have an interest in true crime and um, talking with him about serial killers. He eventually told me that. And, uh, and I, after hearing that, it's like, you know, I'm already into esotericism and philosophy and these things. And, you know, it's still, I was like, I'm, I, and, and I want the next book to be about the shadow. So how could I not? talk about some true crime in there. It's just a perfect opportunity. Um, and it, it, the logic follows and, um, and Keith was into Satanism, right? um, Yeah, he was, he, he absolutely was. Yeah. Um, and, um, um, not as much as it seems like Richard Ramirez. Um, Yeah. Yeah. He definitely was into the occult, but even them. Yeah. I don't want to be like, uh, some fundamentalist Satanism. I mean, there is, um, there is a, I say, uh, a commonality with serial killers, and please correct me if I'm wrong or add to it, because I've I've also read, and they are at a young age. Even Bundy, Bundy had a fucked up childhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, their psyches are broken. They already have some sort of sense, and as their psyches break, 
I think something comes in into them because they are many of them. They hear voices. They had weird relationships. They they had uh, paranormal activities. I mean, there is a commonality with these serial killers, right? And then they deal into the occult, and of course, that amplifies things. And God knows what comes out and transforms them. Yeah, yeah. There's that's the thing is, um, you know, I if I if I'm gonna uh, tackle a subject like this, I I want to be, um, I want to like take it as far as I can, but the last thing I want to do is be sensationalist. Um, so I want to be very like, very Occam's razor slicing through all this thing. And, um, you know, it's, it's real easy to say to be, get on that fundamentalist high horse and be like, the, the devil's in them. But um, uh, there's, the, the more you look into it, again, it's just more head scratching material where you're like, huh, yeah. well, hold on a second. What's going on here? Um, so um, you can put all the pieces, but there's one or two pieces you can never put there. You just exactly. Can't, yeah. Can't. And, and if you want to um, go at this, um, you know, cause a possession, if you want to talk about like demonic possession with serial killers, it's not off the table, but as I frame it in the book, um, you don't really need, obviously there's a lot of uh, uh, bullshit that could be tied up in that. So it's a, uh, it's easy to get veered off and that could be like a little bit of a red herring, but, it, but it's a red herring because it's never something you can fully take off the table. If you're, if you're someone that's interested in metaphysics. Um, but you know, even as even, even from a metaphysical point of view, you don't really need to get that far. All you need to do is, I mean, if you're just looking at, like archetypal demonology and um, you know, all the legwork that we've put in this conversation so far, like it certainly seems that um, um, yeah, there there's um, because of uh, the, the trauma and you know, the, the fact that uh, the unconscious mind is again, a threshold to the nervous system and, um, and people um, definitely get to this point where, I mean, just essentially they've decided that, um, um, however they decide to externalize it, they've decided that they're just going to flip the table. Like it's really uh, the extents that come from it are very uh, mind boggling at times, but the, but the initial premise really is pretty simple. I mean, these people are just so um, like, occasionally you could find just a real psycho and that's, um, you know, like someone that potentially seems to be born that way. But I mean, there's, there's really no way to know for sure. And um uh, regardless, I mean, even if it's just the vast majority, the vast majority of these people have, I mean, I talk about this in Hunt Manual a little bit. There's like the golden rule is kind of not so much or not just do unto others as you would have done unto you, but like you will do unto others as you would have done unto you, in, like unconsciously, whether you realize it or not. And if you have never been, um, you know, I think that all humans initially are fairly um, I think that we are, you know, it might take some discipline to become like super loving and nurturing, but, uh, maybe, but we're definitely not like it, just evil. And, um, but, but you need to be disciplined and, um, um, you know, just brought up the right way you need to, because otherwise, I mean, if you don't have any sort of, um, ethics instilled in you, then, I mean, how are you supposed to yeah, Thanks for example, uh, other people. yeah, you write about Richard Kuglinski, and I was like floored because I, I watched a documentary on him, 
And he was just, yeah, he was a, a hitman who was a serial killer at the same time. But while he was in jail, they talked to him. And the, the psychiatrist basically said uh, he was born without empathy and he was a complete psychopath. The difference is, the psychiatrist said, is that he was really abused as a child. So intellectually, his ethics were completely warped. He was like a little exactly. kid killing. And he said, if you had been raised right, you would still be a psychopath, but your ethics would have would have sent you instead of being a mafia hitman you would have been a firefighter a jet pilot somebody who loved <laughs> death and violence great, yeah, but still wouldn't it. hurt other people because ethically mechanically you would know not to kill other people you would just been a soldier or something in the front line so i think you're right exactly about that yeah yeah that's a great way to put it and yeah it really boils down to um um, obsession, you know, some people, um, obsession with the essence of the hunt. Um, cause you know, the hunt is a, is a ultimately, um, an inward experience. Uh, you know, there are the times of self-defense, um, and, you know, some art of war type action, but, you know, like that is self-defense. Um, I mean, the, the real hunt is, is inward and, and the, the, the purgative you know, purification of yourself, um, searching for gnosis. And I mean, like like archetypal demonic obsession you know fundamentalism aside it really is just that pathological uh obsession with making sure that you are never the victim ever again and oh yeah a lot of people have that um mentality in their daily lives and it's one of the worst most toxic uh you know mentalities you could have but and and most people you know, just kind of leave it in like a state of pessimism and woe is me. But then some people really take it to the extent of um, of the serial killer. And, you know, again, I don't so, you know, like we talked about evil and, and uh, you know, dogma and things like this is not a uh, some sort of like overt condemnation of satanism as a whole because i don't advocate satanism per se but i mean we've we've talked about this a little bit in the past like satanism is not hardly what people what what uh what people on the outside think it is um i mean most of it is um is theatrics uh getting uh they're trolls you know they're just uh, getting uh christians riled up as a joke and yeah. and and somehow christians still haven't figured it out i don't know how they haven't figured it out they're not they're the punchline but Anyway, I digress. So, so that's where I'm coming with this stuff. But even that said, dogma aside, the vantage point of the hunt, if 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 we can see just demonstrably, like even in the historical record, that evil is not like a truly objective thing, you know, you could just see that in uh, in in the animal kingdom. I really don't think that we can say that these things, you know, these algorithms that we're interlocking with sometimes, I don't think that you can call these things evil either. Are they, sometimes they could very well be evil from our vantage point, but I really don't think at this point that they're any more evil than the lion taking down the antelope. And I think if anything, it's just our due diligence to make sure that we don't get wrapped up in those positions. And if we do, we should be as uh, prepared as we can to deal with it. We are at the end. Anthony, before we go, uh, where can people find Hunt Manual or more about you? Um, you could go uh, to my website, divemind.net. 
Um, and you can find pretty much anything I got going on, whether it be uh, the current uh, chats or interviews I've done, you can find links to dive manual and hunt manual there. Um, and you can find some excerpts of uh, some written material. You could also, if you want to link up, you can find me on Twitter or Facebook. Just Anthony Tyler. Um, pretty easy to find. Um, I got hunt manual and dive manual in the description, you know, it's easy to <laughs> narrow down. And uh, yeah, uh, thank you anybody for listening. Thank you guys both so much for having me on. This is uh, a lot of fun. Uh, it's fun every time. You guys are awesome. Oh, no, we really enjoyed it. And Vince, thanks for keeping oh, us yeah. company. Oh, yeah. don't have to thank me. It was a lot of fun hanging out with uh, Anthony and you, Miguel. So we're uh, ready for the hunt now. There yeah, you go. There buddy. You go. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Anthony. Uh, always great. And we look forward to our next time. Yeah, likewise. Thank you and take care. And there you have it. Oh, you shining, crazy diamonds. Anthony always brings out shadows for integration. So important. In our second part, Anthony will deconstruct the template of the cult leader. We'll go deeper into the concept of evil and also deconstruct the template of the serial killer and its ties to MKUltra. Then we'll pivot to Jung's answer to Job to understand both God and Satan as archetypes and forces. Anthony will grant pointers on doing your own shadow work and will cover the phenomena of Bigfoot and UFOs. And yes, we share on some of our favorite recent horror movies and much more. So please support for the full shadow encounter and it does help grow this red pill cafeteria. Only $6.99 a lunar cycle or whatever you want to pledge on Patreon. You can now subscribe to the easy-to-use private RSS feed from Red Circle. No matter where you subscribe, it will cost you about a buck per episode, and that's a deal of many lifetimes. Membership to AB Prime or Patreon mid-levels includes full access to more than 500 quality shows. You'll get an invitation to the Inner Sanctum of Gnosis Facebook group and my Discord channel. Even support in the form of some shekel donations to PayPal or the U.S. mail really, really helps. There is also a link on the show notes if you want to donate via Stripe now. A tip. I also have the merch store and an Amazon wish list if you want to help there. Finding Hermes is going strong and so are our virtual Alexandra exclusive private meetings that include exercises loyal to the ancient Gnostics and a monthly intimate Q&A. If you want to understand and experience Gnosticism in its full impact and liberating secrets, become an official citizen of the virtual Alexandria. I've recently done presentations on Abraxas, the Jungian inner journey, the secrets of the serpent Gnostics, and why we live in Gnostic times. Whew, I know that's a lot, but I gotta stay spread out as I dodge Archons and their projections. I'm also on Rockfin if crypto is your bag. If you need help with all of these choices, just message my ass. I'm always here to help, and I truly appreciate your help. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, 
your true self here in the desert of the real. Hello and goodbye, as always. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.